All right. All right. I say all right, Pete, not you. You tell me what we're going to be talking about today. Well, Mark, in today's episode, we've got David Goggins' morning routine. Some interesting stuff in there I wasn't expecting, actually. And then we got Andrew Huberman's origin story. Joe Rogan's love-hate relationship with video games. We'll be asking the question of what to do if you're feeling nihilistic. And our buddy Shamas just dropped a video on how to get out of a rut. So fun. Let's get into it. Coming. Welcome, everybody, to Man vs. World. I am your host, Mark Weppet, and I am joined, as always, by Pete. Pete, what's the update, man? How are you doing? Doing great. How are you, man? I'm, I'm doing pretty swell. Pretty excited for this, uh, this episode here. Um, can, we, can we call ourselves pro-podcasters at this point? What are we on? Number 40 what? 41. 40, 41. We're getting close. I don't think we're quite there yet. When, when do we get soon. to call ourselves pro-podcasters? Is that I like, think, like episode 100 or something? I think so, yeah. Okay. All right. Can't wait for that. I'm going to get a little hat. I'm going to say pro oh, podcaster yeah. on it. So then people know to ignore me when they see me in public. <laughs> uh, it'll be great. Yeah. Okay. So what do we got first here today? So the first thing I want to talk about is our buddy Shamas Zaman from the Self Mastery Club who dropped this short on YouTube on how to get out of a rut. Let's check it out. All right. Let's see. What's the first step to get out of a rut? The very first thing you need to do is to accept exactly where you're at right now. And that means everything. That means the level of diet you're at, the exercise levels, the level of connection. Just accept wherever you're at. And then you have more agency to take some control over it. If you fight your reality, you're against reality. You're going against the current. But if you're working with the current, you have much more agency to make some big changes. So what's the first step to get... Okay. Shamus, dropping a little bit of wisdom here. Very nice to see. So Shamus, he's been a, a longtime follower of our project. I know he's doing some stuff on YouTube now, which is great to see. And uh, he makes a great point because I think one of the, I think the most guaranteed way to fail is to fight reality, right? I mean, that's almost like the definition of failure is to fight against reality. And that's exactly what a lot of people try to do when they're in a rut. They try and just push away against the reality of where they're at. And the problem with this is that when you push away against the reality of where you're at is that you're not starting in reality, <laughs> right? And so what that typically amounts to is someone who then tries to do something that is outside the realms of what is really capable for them in the moment. So like, let's say, you know, let's say you've gone on a, a big old bender, you know, you've been pounding the porn, you've been, you know, eating junk food nonstop, you haven't been working out, you haven't been being productive, and you can't take it anymore. And the self-loathing has become so overwhelming that you're like, oh, I gotta change something. And so you don't look at where you're at. You say, oh, I fucking suck. And then you just like push as hard as you can against it. And you're just like, all right, I'm gonna just start kicking ass. I'm gonna, you know, get myself together and you know, go hard. Uh the problem with doing that usually is that the person that you were up until that point where you decided to change direction, like if you just try and pretend he doesn't exist, just try and sweep him under the rug, 
there's a very low chance that he will stay there. Okay, like you were like that for a reason. There was something that caused you to fall into this rut. You know, something on the mindset level, maybe something happened in your life that knocked you down a peg or two. Um, I don't know, it could be any number of things. But you gotta, if, if you just ignore him and just try and go on your merry way toward uh, a better future, that baggage is going to resurface at some point. And for a lot of people, it happens sooner rather than later. And uh, the, this, one of the sadder things I've seen in the uh, the masculine development sphere, you know, that I've been in for about a decade now is just seeing how often people try this hard 90, 180 degree turnaround and just push. Uh, and what happens is like, you know, if, if this is like your first time kind of trying it, you you might even get a little bit of success because you know you're you think it's possible you have the belief there that I can just snap my fingers and go in a completely different direction um, and some guys they they start to seem like they can but rarely does it last you know I, I see this all the time guys get really motivated they they saw some of my YouTube videos they got real pumped and bought in and this kind of thing and they just you know just just start sprinting sprinting in the opposite direction from which where where they're going which is better than continuing to do what they were doing. But the problem with this is that it almost always leads to this point where everything crumbles down. You know, the the motivation all of a sudden is gone. You know, the doubts are there, the fears are there, the confusion's there, the resistance is welling up inside of them. They have a little slip and then they're like, oh shit, I slipped. Oh no. Uh, and then, then that self-induced panic and shame kicks in and then they slip some more. And then before they know it, they're back into the bender. Now, the sad thing is, is that after someone does this, they then tend to kind of just wallow there for a while. And then maybe they get some, they, they get so sick of themselves again, they're like, all right, I'm just going to turn it around. I started turning it around last time and I can do the same thing this time. This time I'll just really make it. And maybe they do. You know, they turn it around, they push real hard. And usually what happens is they might get a little bit of momentum, but usually it's like just a fraction of what they got last time. Like, you know, if I was going to just put it into concrete numbers, like, Let's say the first time they tried to hit that turning point, they got to like 30 days free from porn, okay? Second time they do it, they might get a week, maybe, maybe five days, okay? And they, then before they relapse again. And then the third time they try and push and turn things around, they're getting like one, two days, and then they're just relapsing again. And the problem is what's going on is that they... The, their ability to just shirk off the baggage of where they're currently at diminishes. Um, and their ability to fool themselves, to kind of give themselves a placebo effect of like, oh, I could just change it all and not actually look at where I'm at. Uh, that Their ability to, to fool themselves on that really just disappears. And so how do we avoid this pattern? Well, it starts by not ignoring where we're currently at, but getting intimately familiar with it but doing it in a new spirit. Often we're, we're people who, who struggle with poor behavior. A lot of us are pretty self-aware about it. Not all of us, you know, some people, they just escape 24 seven. Okay. But if you're watching this channel, that's probably not you, uh, at least not, uh, all the time. <laughs> um, and you're probably aware of what you're doing wrong, but you're aware in a self-critical manner. You're aware as if you were like on one hand, you're the misbehaving student goofing off in class, but then another part of you is like the pissed off teacher who's like, oh, that rotten little kid, okay? That's not gonna work. That internal dynamic 
doesn't work really at all. If you want to break free from this, you have to show up as a friend to yourself. All right. And it's like to do this means you have to understand your pain. At least acknowledge it. Acknowledge your shortcomings and not reject yourself from it for it. You know, like when you can show up and you can love yourself right where you are at, what that does then is that gives you a starting point. It's like, hey, I've found love for myself even in this low point. And the goal then is to take that self-love and grow it out into the other aspects of your life. But it has to start on this internal psychological level first, which Shamas, I think, is highlighting here in this clip. And when we can do that, when we can build that psychological union with ourselves just even in our dysfunction, well, then we're for sure going to be able to hold that connection with ourselves as we start improving, as we start giving ourselves the gift of a better life, as we start giving ourselves the gift of better habits and that sort of thing. But it's got to start there. It can't be like this thing. It's like, oh, well, screw me and screw me until I'm good. Well, it's just that that's as soon as something becomes imperfect again, you're going to abandon yourself and everything's going to go to shit again. So it's like you got to start with this self-acceptance. You got to start with the self-love. And then you got to ask yourself, based upon where I'm at, Realistically speaking, all right, like if I'm really going to be honest about what I feel capable and willing and uh, on board to do right now, what does that actually look like? And the to the chagrin of our egos, what we're really capable of doing tends to be far less than what our uh, rational, idealistic mindset is comfortable admitting. You know, it's like admitting that, okay, well, I probably can't completely transform my physique, my lifestyle, my social life, my um, uh, financial life all at once. I just don't have the power. You know, it's, it's having the humility to accept your current limitations. But once you accept them, you can actually start doing what's possible, what will actually move the needle for yourself. And you can do it without hating yourself. Um, at least that's what I think you need to be able to do. You need to be able to love yourself to transform, not to just try and escape and, you know, do this kind of rubber band and pendulum swing crap. So, yes, I think he's right on. What do you think, Pete? You got anything to add to that? You know, it's it seems like we want to be where we're not yet, so and we don't have the patience to wait to get there, so we try to get it all at once, and then in the midst of trying to get it all at once, we're slowing ourselves down, like you say, you know, Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Right. It reminds me of that. It reminds me of that thought, that kind of that 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 thought picture of you have a calendar, and you can take a million dollars right up front, and you don't have to wait thirty days, or you can have one penny per day on the calendar. You start with one penny on the first day, the second day it doubles, the third yeah, it day doubles it doubles every again, day, yeah, and it doubles every day, and at the end of it you get that exponential interest and it's, it's, it's more than a million dollars. So it's like, what do you want to pick? You know? Right. Um, but it's also, but it's almost like, you know, if you don't get the 30 days, then you don't get anything. Right. And it's, that's the, that's the part that people miss is that yeah. they, they go for the big grab instead of the, the reasonable one, the sustainable one. And it shoots you in the foot. So this is something that we all need to constantly be on guard for. And yeah, there are some people who try and go too slow. They try and take it too steady. They refuse to um, take on any discomfort, you know, uh, and that could be a problem too. The general guideline that I 
offer a lot of my guys is like you're I believe you're in the sweet spot when you're 80% excited about something and 20% scared. You know, it's it's good to have um, some feeling like you're pressing outside of your limits to a degree, but it shouldn't be so far outside of your limits that it makes you feel unconfident, unstable, etc. Um, now, it's going to be different for every person depending upon where they're coming from and everything, but, you know, at, at, the, at the end of the day, you have to be operating in this spirit of self-friendship where it's like, you know, if you wouldn't ask your best friend to do this and you wouldn't treat your best friend like this, then uh, chances are it's a bad strategy to use on yourself because, uh, you know, there's a part inside of you that will react to you treating it poorly and it will not react favorably uh, nor beneficially to your your long-term goals. So take right that on. for what it's worth. All right, the next thing I wanted to show you, Mark, is Chris Williamson recently asked David Goggins about his current morning routine. And, uh, you know, a lot of his answer was exactly what you'd expect, but his reasoning behind it was a little different than what I thought it would be. So let's check it out. Let's see what you got, Goggins. Every morning starts with a run. And that's because that's the one thing I hate to do more than anything in the world. So that's like my cup of coffee. And I'm all about armoring yourself. So... The second you leave your house and the second you open your phone, the second you do any of that, you are now letting in poison and cancer. So I make sure a lot of things you can't avoid. So as I get up, I start to armor plate my mind and body. Like a person's going to war, you put your body armor on. That's what I'm doing on that run. I'm waking up and I'm giving myself all this armor. So when I come out in the world, now, look at that phone. I'm ready. I'm not waking up late. I'm not rushing around. I'm not disorganized because I know I'm going to get hit in the mouth. There's, a, there's an art to getting hit in the mouth. And that is why <laughs> these things are important. You have to wake up and you have to give yourself belief. You have to give yourself confidence. So that, it starts with that run. Interesting. Um, that's, well, it's pretty much what I would pr- totally expect from from Goggins uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that that general lifestyle, and I think there's for sure merit to it. The, the you know the idea of what is it eating the frog? Uh, this like this concept. I can't remember who came up with it, but the idea is you do the most uh, uncomfortable task first in the day, um, which makes sense. You know, you want to do the hardest thing while your energy is the highest. And for a lot of people, not everybody, apparently, apparently there's all these different kinds of like phenotype of sleepers and stuff like that but for a lot of people first thing in the morning is when you got a lot of willpower and you set yourself off on a good foot like that well then uh you know i can see how it could work particularly if you're very much in this um conflict oriented mentality which goggins seems to be in and i'm not saying this doesn't work a hundred percent a conflict-based mentality can breed results if you go all into it now, the downside, uh, in my perspective, of a conflict-based mentality is that life then becomes a war. Um, and I don't think that that's the only way to live life, all right? <laughs> there are people who are far, you know, I don't want to say far more successful than Goggins because he's pretty much the top of, like, his particular niche of tough guy self-motivate, uh, tough, tough guy motivation. I would you say that? Would you say that's Goggins' niche? Like, Tough I don't guy think motivator. He would disagree with that. Yeah. So I mean, like he's um, 
he's at the top of that niche. So he's, he's, he's figured out how to make that conflict based mentality work. Also makes sense if he, you know, he's a freaking super soldier. Dude's got like, you know, every special forces training in existence. Um, so it makes sense that he would be operating in that paradigm, but the downside to it is, you know, every light, every day then is war is conflict. So it's like, what if you didn't want to live like that? What if you didn't want to live a life of constantly needing to armor yourself? What's the alternative, right? What if, you know, just, just let me put a, an alternative way, a method out. Okay. Like what if instead you made the first hour of your day designed to be as, uh, self-connected as possible, where instead of connect doing the hardest thing, you focused on doing the thing that was most inspiring to you. You know, you focused on maybe, you know, if you're a very religious person, maybe it'd be prayer and reading scripture. Or, you know, maybe if you are a uh, artist, maybe it's getting up and starting with some art, maybe even consuming the art of other people. You know, maybe it was some other kind of intentional practice. And I think the, the the big thing that you can extract from this is that like the way you start your day does matter. It sets a tone. But what is the right tone for you and the life that you are living? All right. If you want to live a more playful existence, one with more joy, more happiness, where you know you don't see yourself as getting hit in the face, you see yourself as being handed puzzles that you can solve all day. You know, it's like life is your video game. You're not getting hit in the mouth so much as you are getting offered interesting twists in the side quests and main quests of your life. Okay. Just a different way to look at it. And I've seen people across business, across, you know, even just people who live small, you know, more humble lives. They don't have this, this attitude of going to war every day. And some of them are insanely successful, and some of them are just insanely happy. And uh, you got to ask yourself, it's like, what what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to be living in a war? Do you want to be living in a game? Do you want to be, like some people, they're very aesthetic. You know, they're like, my life's a movie. You know, they want to be living in an exciting movie, okay? It's like, well, depending upon what kind of meta narrative you feel most aligned with, I think is is how you should really be starting your days. And uh, this is something that can, you know, try a bunch of things out, you know, experiment, see what feels best for you. Um, I've always kind of chafed against a lot of Goggins stuff because I do not want his life at all. He doesn't seem happy to me. He might be happy, but the fact that he has to armor himself every day, the, the fact that every single day he's feeling like he's worried about getting hit in the mouth, um, that... That a lot of that seems like perspective to me because I, I know he's not literally getting hit in the mouth every day. Um, probably some of the days with some of the training he's doing, but uh, you know, to me that's that's not super appealing. I would rather you know me personally be setting up and like connecting with the vibration of creativity, of flow, of peace, of harmony, um, and I could do that with a run. It's just with a different attitude around it, a different perspective around it, being like, you know, here's here's where I, you know, grab grab my early morning endorphin flow. Okay, I could do that by going for a run, and you know, I hate running too, uh, <laughs> and it's and sometimes I do. I'll get up and I'll do an ex- I'll do exercise and, and stuff like that, and and it's and it can be nice. It doesn't have to be 
this horribly conflicted, tortured soul sort of uh, dynamic. So my my recommendation for you guys is to realize there's a bunch of different ways to play this this game of life, and just because you see someone uh, thriving using one kind of vibration, you know, they're using one kind of narrative. It doesn't mean that's the right one for you. A hundred percent learn from them. Try it out. See if it does work. But, uh, you know, if it doesn't, don't just sit there calling yourself a pussy and then, you know, beating yourself up for it. Maybe that's just like not the kind of guy you are. Not everybody's built like him. You know, everyone knows that Goggins is built different. He's a, he is an outlier. And if he is happy living that way, like that's, not necessarily the way everyone else is going to be happy. And that's cool, all right? Find your lane. Do the experimentation. Let yourself get get creative. Don't feel like you got to lock yourself in some bubble because some kind of online guru told you that you need to do it this way, that way, or another way. You know, heck, even me. Even though everything I say is like 100% true, you know, you can still doubt me. And I encourage you to do so. <laughs> You'll come back and realize I'm right later. It's, it's all good. But you got to go on your own journey with it. There we go. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right. The next thing I wanted to talk about was a club member recently asked for your take on overcoming nihilism. He says, I'm at the point in life where I struggle with this deeply. Gone are the days when I would wake up pumped up to improve myself in all aspects of my life. There's a nagging question, but what's the point? So, Mark, what is the point? It's mm, a very good question. This is something I've been... Uh, doing a bunch of writing about if you've been following the daily emails, which will, I think mo- some of them will at least be out by the time you guys get this one, maybe even most of them. Um, and I think what what this person is running into is what I would call a toxic contract with themselves. And I, I see this with a lot of self-develop, a lot of guys who are ambitious, you know, they got a self-developmental mindset. Um, I've been super caught in this for, for years and years at a time. Um, I still get caught in it, but it's this idea that like, all right, I need to spend all of my intentional energy living for tomorrow. That's what I got to do. I got to, like he said here, it's like, I used, I used to wake up pumped to improve myself in all aspects of my life. Now, when someone's in that mentality, typically what they mean is that like, okay, I'm going to be getting somewhere in the future. I'm sacrificing now so I can make progress in the long run. And we all need that to some degree, right? We need to be doing that to some degree. But the problem is if you go all in on that, well, what happens to the life you're living now? It's usually not very fun. It's just this feeling of constant pressure. And your emotional self, your the part of you that has an appetite for pleasure, uh, that part starts getting starved. And often it starts getting a little angry, maybe a bit rebellious, And if all our intentional energy is going toward tomorrow's pleasures, well, then a lot of then our unintentional energy, you know, the the things that we do in our downtime, the things we do kind of on autopilot, those things start going toward immediate gratification. And so like the way the 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 low tier self-development approach that I think a lot of guys fall into is like, all right, I'm just going to grind super, super hard. And then uh, I'm just going to collapse at some point, either in the evenings or the weekends, into hedonistic pleasure-seeking. And it's like this, this they get caught in this pattern of like taking one or two steps forward and then having to take this big step back 
constantly. And they just feel like, oh, I'm just like pushing the mud. I'm not going anywhere. And my life's not even enjoyable because when I am f- indulging and enjoying pleasure, it's it's done so unintentionally. It's done so unconsciously. And it's usually done with such low quality activities that I don't really ever feel good about them afterward. So it's just like escape in the moment, guilt after the fact, back to the grind. And when you're in that kind of pattern, yeah, what's the point? It's not surprising that your emotional self would get a little bit burnt out, feel a little bit like, well, why am I even doing this? Why would I live this life? It's not fun. I don't like it. I don't get to enjoy any of it now. It's all in this like future that's supposed to be great, but I'm not getting there. It's not coming quick enough. And then all of a sudden the motivational balloon pops and then they feel very stuck. And so the solution to this is that you have to split how you use your intentional energy. It can't just all go for tomorrow. You have to put intentionality into enjoying today. I really firmly believe that. I believe that like our technology for vice today is so sophisticated. It is so powerful. Our ability to get like a low grade dopamine hit is incredible. You know, previous generations had nothing like what we have. We've got Netflix, we got porn, we got video games, we got cherry vapes, we've got, you know, you know, junk food. We've got all these hypernormal stimuli just at our fingertips. And if your only strategy is to just like get hard, well, that's going to that's going to wear you out. That's going to wear you out pretty quick. Um, and so what you got to do is, I think, instead of just getting hard, you got to think, how can I get better pleasure? How can I get higher pleasure? How can I get pleasure that's more psychologically, emotionally, spiritually nutritious? All right. I've used this example um before, but it's like, all right, what, what's the what's the diet plan that you think is going to be more sustainable for you? Is it going to be the diet plan where you are, um, you know, having to just basically eat like boiled chicken and like unsalted broccoli? It's like if you just got to eat that every day, yeah, you might lose weight if you can get yourself to do that for thirty days. But what are the chances that you're going to really be able to stick to that? Very, very low. Okay, but what if instead? You invested in getting, you know, higher quality food. You know, you get good fruit, you get good meat, you get, you know, delicious stuff. You learn how to cook. You put the time into that. Well, all of a sudden, you've got a diet that you can absolutely love and it can be healthy for you and you can lose weight, right? Like that's far more sustainable, okay? And the same thing can be applied to all the other areas of our life. It's like we have to make our habit, we have to make our lifestyle focused on upgrading the quality of the whole thing. It's like, yeah, we want a more quote unquote nutritious lifestyle, which means, you know, one that has more productivity in it, you know, one that that leads toward future goals that that are going to be fulfilling and stuff like that. But we also have to do our best to try and find the intersection between that productivity and enjoying the process. Because if you don't enjoy the process, well, then it's like, what's the point? You know, it's almost like when you get into the self-developmental mindset, it's like we we treat ourselves like this machine. We objectify ourselves. It's like, you know, my life is just this vehicle to bring me future status. And that's, I would argue, dehumanizing. And the human part of you is going to rebel against that. It doesn't like that. It's like, you know, I'm not just your freaking like habit jockey man. That's that's my impression of the uh, your emotional self saying that. It wants to know that like you care about it. Like you you want to be cared about by yourself. 
You want yourself to care about your own pains and pleasures. And so just a practical example of how you would um, start dealing with this kind of thing is like when it comes down to to planning your week, for example, um, is instead of just writing out all the productive shit you want to do, you know, all the goals and all the habits and all that kind of thing. What if you also included in there, like, here's how I'm going to enjoy this day. Here's my fun time this day. And here's, here's the fun thing that I'm going to do. That's actually good. That actually I'm going to feel good about later. You know, maybe it means, it means like planning, you know, time with family, you know, outing the like time with friends. Maybe you go out and you see a movie. Maybe, you know, you go explore some new hobby. Maybe you just, uh, you know, there's a million different, you go, go treat yourself to a nice dinner. Okay. Like there's all different ways to do it, but like, you've got to enjoy your life. If you want to conquer toxic pleasure, I don't think the answer is just learning how to eat shit and deal with discomfort. Yeah, having having some ability to do that, for sure, powerful. But I think even more powerful is learning how to induce higher levels of pleasure, higher levels of fun in your life. And half that's going to be practical, and the other half's going to be mental. It's going to be psychological. It's going to be learning how to become more playful, learning how to become more optimistic, learning how to uh, laugh at things, learning how to smile more, learning how to... Um, be a friend to yourself in the process. Uh, it's like, you know, there's a, <laughs> did we talk about this last time where it's like, yeah, I think how much of this am I just like repeating myself on? I can't tell. Cause sometimes I write a lot of blog posts and then I forget what I talked about and what I wrote about. <laughs> no, I think it's something you wrote about. Okay. So it's like, yeah. you know, having, you can do a shitty job and enjoy it. If you got good people around you, you know, have you ever done that Pete where it's like, you've had, jobs that just sucked but you were with people you were friends with and it was just it was still fun because you had the banter going you're laughing about it there was the camaraderie you can have that same thing in real life and even if you can't get it with other people you can get it in here in your own head and that's not something i see in goggins work and maybe he doesn't need it but i do (laughs) maybe i'm a pussy uh but for me personally is like the best way to get me to live more productively is to get me having fun doing those productive things. So that a lot of that is internal. Awesome. All right. Next up, Luke sent us over uh, this clip of Huberman, Andrew Huberman talking about his origin story and the motivation he used to kind of kickstart his life. Let's check it out. I don't know much about Huberman. Let's see. I realized this is it, you know, it's now or never. It really was one of those moments. You know, you hear about those moments, but it was me realizing I'm, you know, I'm living in this squat where I've got a pet ferret. My girlfriend's gone. She broke up with me. She was smart enough to break up with me, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, if you got a pet ferret, you got you got to get dumped. That's are only... those even legal? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I remember my only interaction with a ferret when I was young was like, I can't remember who we went to see. It was some, like, friend of the family and the ferret, like... It like turned around the corner and it just like sprinted over to me and I like froze. I was like five years old and it just like climbed up me and it just like licked the inside of my ear and I was just like frozen and they had to like pull, <laughs> pull it off. Apparently that was what that ferret did. I don't know if that's something that all ferrets do, but uh, uh, yeah, okay, he did so that to his girlfriend. If you live in California, they're illegal. Oh, they are. Interesting. Yeah. Wild. So all I right. guess I don't have to worry about my girlfriend breaking up with me. <laughs> yes, because you do not have a girlfriend. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key, guys. You never want to get broken up with. Don't have a girlfriend. That's anyway, Huberman, what are you saying? 
Um, I'm getting in fights. I'm working at a bagel shop. I'm barely making ends meet. And at that point, I just made the decision. I had decided to get back in school. I moved into a studio apartment by myself. I quit partying completely. I didn't go to parties. I got really serious about fitness. So I just started running and lifting mm -hmm. weights and I studied. Yeah, I think I was really afraid. I think I was like, you know, and I, and these days, you know, cause my lab studies fear and I get into this whole thing around mindsets. People always ask me like, is it better to do something from a place of love or fear? Like depends. And at yeah. that point, fear was the best motivator for me. That's a, that's a cool point to make. Um, but what I see there wasn't just fear. Okay. Like I think you can move out of fear and love. All right. Like, like in that scenario, like the fear that he had was like, shit, my life isn't going somewhere that I like. And if I keep going this way, well, I'm going to get that life that I don't like and, you know, even more. <laughs> and so he made the loving move to decide that, all right, I'm going to start sacrificing for myself. I'm going to start doing these things that are uncomfortable, that we're going to break these patterns, and I'm going to do something better. And that's fine. I think that, like, it, the fear, like, like, love is one of these things where people like to boil it down to an emotion, but I don't believe that's what love is. Love is is charity it's it's goodwill that's really what love is and so it's like if you can hold goodwill toward yourself and you're in a legitimately scary situation well you can hold goodwill around that you know and the goodwill is let's get you out of the scary situation right so i think learning how to 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 find that perspective is really important and it's unclear here to like what level he was moving from that you know it could have been just blind fear but somewhere along the line he he must have found you know a sense of self-worth a sense of dignity and and things like that because you know pure fear pure just like i'm gonna move away from pain all that does is get you away from immediate pain but he's built something much bigger than that you know he's he's you know very successful very well known he seems you know pretty put together i like his demeanor a lot of times i see him anytime he talks um and so at some point along the line he did find that i i believe that he was worth more than that he was worth more than just getting away from that immediate you know bad situation because he kept going you know and he's gone beyond just not being in a scary situation to being one that's from the outsider's perspective seems pretty idyllic pretty you know fantastic so yeah i don't know if i have too much else to say about that pete did you have any other thoughts around that i was just thinking about ferrets while you're talking about that sorry but um... <laughs> about how you were deprived your whole childhood because you lived in california <laughs> Dude, i you went probably... to one i went to a petting zoo in oregon and they had, it's one of those uh, weird ones where they'll have peacocks just roaming around mm. and they got a bunch of goats and all kinds of things. And they've got, uh, they got this little cage area where you can go and pet a baby tiger or something. Mm. And I forget the name of it. It was pretty cool, but there was a ferret there and uh, it was just, it was, it was just weird. It was, it was bizarre, but it looked like more fun than a, a guinea pig. Cause what do you even do with a guinea pig? I mean, you know same I mean? thing you do with most pets. You just kind of pet them i guess just look at it just think they're cool think they're... i don't really get having pets i'm glad i don't have any pets at the moment <laughs> like a waste of time. i don't know if they're a waste of time they are a lot of work that's why i don't have one right now because i just don't have the space for it but i would like to get one i was uh i was just i actually went down a rabbit hole yesterday on youtube looking at um greyhounds like i used to think greyhounds were like this 
like the ugliest dogs in the world and I thought they were the worst until I met one and man they're oh, yeah. they're so sweet man they're like mm. they're basically just like they're you would think they would take a lot of exercise cuz they're like insanely fast but they can they really like have 2 minutes of exercise a day and then otherwise they just sleep and like cuddle really? and they're like real sweet so yeah, at some point. That's rare in a dog, you'll, I feel like. You'll know, I'm, you'll know I'm, I'm peak Mark when I've got a couple of greyhounds. Um, <laughs> that, that's, that's the sign that, uh, you know, I'm, 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 really, I'm really killing it in life. <laughs> nice. I like it. All right. So the next thing here is Joe Rogan on his love-hate relationship with video games. This was an interesting podcast. We actually have another clip from the same podcast a little later on about a totally different subject. But for now, here's Joe Rogan on why he loves slash hates video games yeah and this is the this is joe with his uh podcast with shane gillis and matt mccusker who if you guys like kind of offbeat humor it's not entirely clean by any stretch of the imagination but matt and shane's secret podcast probably probably definitely is my favorite podcast like that's nice i love that shit and so i was pumped to see shane on here or matt on here because i know he uh has always just been shane before but i would recommend them anyway here's what Joe says. Have you played Bannerlord? Dude, if I played games, man, I'd have a fucking problem. Jamie can tell you, I have a problem. Yeah. I get psychotically obsessed, so and I, pl- nice. I will play eight, ten hours a day, yeah, and I'll fuck up my life, yeah. and I'll look pale like a vampire. <laughs> oh, <come laughs> the fuck's else? wrong with that? Dude. <laughs> dude, I was playing Quake. I would play all night long, man. I, yeah. I, I installed a T1 line in my house. Back when I couldn't get a uh, good info, good internet, because I was living in the mountains, I was like, "What can you do?" And they go, "Well, if you had a business, we could run a T line line." I go, "Well, I got a business. Let's run a T line line." Just you playing quick. They had to fucking dig up the street, lay pipes and shit. Oh, they had to send like the boring oh, missile yeah. through. I went hard, damn, so I could play quick. How long did this last for? Oh, I I had a quick cold turkey. They're fucking great. I love them. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not an anti-video game person. I fucking love them. But I know for me, they're too fun. I yeah. get. I I was like, why am I just sitting around uh, answering emails that I have to answer? Why can't <laughs> just be in a world of murder? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> I really love that, and it, it kind of goes to say, like, show like how. Uh. People who have really addictive sort of personalities, there is, it's like a double-edged sword. Because if you can get yourself addicted to the things that help you, well, then you can just go so hard on it. Like, you know, Joe Rogan, he got addicted to the podcasting game and he became the king of it, right? Uh, Comedy, he's also, you know, really kind of almost on top of that as well. And uh, I've seen the same thing in myself. Like, I was similar to Joe, I was, I was hooked into like the hardcore competitive shooters. I, I never got super into to quake, but I was like really into counter-strike. I was really into call of duty. Uh, later I was like really into overwatch. Like I just loved it. You know, I love that fast pace. Like, uh, I just gotta like, you know, kill people. You know, he's talking about this, this, this world of mor- murder. And really what that does is just kind of like stimulates this, primal combative circuitry that was like like never really felt like it had an outlet in real life and so it was just it just creates this insane high for me and i got to the point where it's like um like first i would try to just quit all video games i'm like oh all video games are just bad they're a waste of time blah blah and i had done periods where i would go without it but then i would miss them and i would go back to them because you know they had been a big part of my life, and I think they are really fun. And then I would get hooked back in, and it'd be a problem again. And what I realized is just like 
It's just certain kinds of games. Like for me, I can't do the competitive shooters. I will not moderate them properly. And even if I do moderate them, they steal so much dopamine that like I will be thinking about them even when I'm not playing them. And then I won't be able to focus on other stuff. And then just by having it in my life, it makes everything else in my life seem shittier. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's like, why do I, I got to go hang out with Pete and do a freaking podcast? Oh, that dude sucks. I could be playing and shooting people right now. And it's just like, it makes it, it makes everything so much worse. And one of these things is like, it's possible to like things too much, right? Like, this is what an alcoholic has to come to terms with. It's like, yeah, I like alcohol way too much. It's just too fun. Too fun for me. And everybody, like, I think everybody's going to have those kinds of things in their life that just, the, the effort that is required to moderate that thing is just so much greater than uh, like any benefit you would have by keeping it in your life. And then at that when it's that kind of scenario, you're better off just to quit it. You're better off just to quit it probably. Now, I believe in the, inf- the near infinite neuroplasticity of the human psyche. And I do theoretically believe that you could, like I could train myself to play competitive video games in a way that is in harmony with the rest of my life. I probably could do that, but I don't want to. That just takes way too much work. You know, like I've been coaching people for a long time. I know how much work that would take for me to do. It's just, it's not, uh, it's not something that's, I think, worth the effort. And so, you know, it's okay. It's okay to just like things too much and just be, and swear it off. All right. And it can be a gift to yourself. And you just got to be real with yourself about what it is. And you can be surgical with it. Like for me, it's like I, I just don't do the hardcore shooters. I can play a little bit of single player. You know, that's fine. I can play some casual multiplayer with friends here and there. That's fun. That's like adding to the adding some spice onto the meat of life. Um, and it just makes it better. But certain things, uh, it's kind of like <laughs> there's like these. Uh, do, you, do they have Philly pretzel factories near you? Have you ever seen no. one of those? Okay, I I mean, obviously I'm around Philly, so they have them. It's called Philly Pretzel Factory. And I don't even know if they, the the last Philly Pretzel Factory I went into didn't even have this stuff anymore, but they had like these cinnamon covered pretzels, but then they had like this like dipping sauce, like this cinnamon dipping frosting. And it's like, that shit was so good. And it was like, I started off like, just you know like at a party and i was just like dipping it you know the the pretzels into it and stuff like that and i was like man that's amazing and i went and got got it for myself and then it got to the point where i was like Mm. considering like i bet i could go to the philly pretzel factory and just get that icing and i was just like sitting there contemplating like i probably could just like eat it with a spoon i'm just like what are you doing mark (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like don't be that guy it's like that was that's another example of one of those things that i just like too much and it's you know i'm better off just not probably having that in my life and so it's it can be hard it can be hard to cut off these things and i think it's the hardest when you don't feel like you've got other good stuff, right? Like if you got a guy who just hates his freaking job, he's, you know, desperately lonely at home, telling him to give up porn, telling him to give up that favorite video game, if he does that, his life's got nothing then. He's like, well, what the frick's the purpose? All I do is suffer then. And I get that. And this is why I think, uh, you know, kind of going back to my earlier point, is that if you want to... uh, gain control over your life. You really want to get your habits in order and that sort of thing is like there needs to be a sincere interest in cultivating healthy pleasure. And if that's not a top priority, then you're going to be really limited. Your 
your emotional self's just going to like hit the eject button and you're just going to keep, you know, crashing and burning. So, you know, it's, it's a weird, we're, we are weird creatures. It's like, we need to have our like needle set between, okay, we can't have life be too painful, but we also can't find things that are too pleasurable because either one of them is going to just ruin your life. Your life's just all pain. Well, that sucks. If your life's just like all like this hyper stimulus that makes you like obsessed, well, then you're basically a drug addict. And uh, that's not a good life either. So, you know, you gotta you gotta thread the needle. It's not easy, but uh, everyone can dial it in if you uh, give yourself a little little love, little support, and uh, obviously equip yourself with the right tools. Check out the Self Mastery Club. We got them. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh man, I remember. I grew up with a Wii, and mm-hmm. I got you know it started with the basic Wii games. You know, you got Wii Sports Resort. You got Wii. We sports the original one. You got We Fit. Mm-hmm. I can destroy you guys at We Fit. I'm so good at that game. <laughs> but uh, eventually, you know, I got a Mario game, and then I got a Call of Duty. They made Call of Duty for the Wii. That's weird. I actually liked Man. aiming with the Wii remote. I love playing Resident Evil Four on that. But oh go on goodness. with your story. Once I got that, I was, I was obsessed. I could not, and I realized, you know, the fact that I had a Wii was sort of a limitation it kept me from getting a billion different games and it kept me from ever getting really good at call of duty because you know i'm having to like do this and yeah. i'm just I'm, I'm not that good at call of duty to begin with but st- even in my my 13 year old brain i knew that if i bought an xbox or a, or a ps3 or whatever was out it would be i'd be done it'd be over i've just that's all i would do so I, I never bought an Xbox. I never bought a PS3 or anything like that. Because you knew and that? Or did, did your parents put any pressure on you like that? Or was no, that they did, that you... no, I could have bought one for myself if I wanted to. Hmm. But I knew that if I did it, it was it was it it would have been bad news. So I, I stayed away from it. I'm glad I did because hmm. I, I would have been like Joe. I would have been in there 10 hours a day. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of guys trapped in that. And that's kind of like what normal is for a lot of guys. And in some ways, you know, we've talked about it on the I think it was last podcast, like about how, like for a lot of guys growing up, that's where that's the new, instead of going down to the sand lot and playing some stick ball, you, you know, you hop online, you play Fortnite with your friends or whatever. And so I get how that stuff can kind of shift over time. You know, when you're a kid and you've got a lot more free time, you, you know, you want to learn how to work with each other in teams. You want to just chill with the bros, that kind of thing. Um, video games make sense, but uh, it's when, it's stunting your growth. That's a uh, that's a big problem, and I, that's that's pretty insane. That like at thirteen you were able to to do that. What was the exact thought you had that kept you from from going on with it? I had buddies who had Xboxes and yeah. and different consoles, and I really didn't see them very much. Oh, and I was like, oh, you guys are busy. <laughs> and then as I grew up, like one of my best buddies, he bought an Xbox. And the day I, he bought it, I just, I stopped seeing him. Not because, you know, yeah. it just, because we stopped, it just, it, he stopped reaching out so much. I wasn't, you know, I was, I was, I was reaching out, but he was busy with other stuff in his free time. He wouldn't reach out because he was busy with that. So it was like, man, I just saw it around me. So yeah, it's interesting. It's like uh, growing up, it's like friends, they would drop off for one of two reasons. One is they found a girl. Okay. Yeah. understandable. The other is they got hooked on a game. 
<laughs> and then I wouldn't see him. And it's like, you know, I, I, I was guilty on both of those counts as well. But it's, uh, yeah, it's weird how, how quickly we can become imbalanced when that, that shiny new thing comes in and hijacks all our dopamine. Yeah, I also saw them spend money on video games too. And that was, that was a warning signal for me. I was like, wait, hold on. You're spending real money on V-Bucks <laughs> so you can look like PewDiePie or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, hold on. <laughs> you know that there's this thing called a cinnamon-covered pretzel that you could use to, you know, you could buy that with your money instead. That's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, hey, you're very grounded in reality. I think that's 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 a good thing that there are still kids like that being made, at least some of you. Um, Sam's Club was my man. <laughs> Sam's Club? Yeah. Well, yeah what, was your, what was your treat there? Pre- they had pretzels and they were a dollar. Were they and cinnamon they were covered of, ones? That you could get a cinnamon covered Oof, one. Those are dirty. They got, do, do they have Annie Ann's near you? You ever heard they of do. Annie Ann's? That, yeah. that's, that's the shit. At the mall, you smell that. That or Cinnabon. Oh, God. We're talking about all these delicious treats. I'm going to have to like go right raid now, a, a Philly pretzel <laughs> factory and, and undo my, my, uh, my vow to myself. <laughs> uh, well, the last clip that I got today comes from that same podcast. It's Matt McCusker. Is that how you say his name? McCusker. McCusker. And this is why he says he hasn't watched porn since August. Mm, let's check it out. Dude, I haven't watched porn since August. That's not that long. That's pretty <laughs> fucking long, dude. You do it, dude. <laughs> that's not that long. People do that accidentally, dude. Yeah. What? That's, that's normal. Yeah. I was having dreams about it. Dude. You having dreams about porn? <laughs> yeah, when I first stopped, dude, I was like having dreams about porn. Dude, it was hard. That was tough for me to stop doing. I went down some dark alleys. What's the darkest? The, the tees, brother. The tees. The tees? The tees, brother. The fucking T-100s. <laughs> T-1000s? What's that? What are you talking the about? What's the Terminator T-1000? Yeah. You, he ran into some T-1000s. The boys and the girls. When the boys become girls. When the boys become girls. The oh, boys... the tees. Tram. He liked the tees. That could be an issue. Like Joe, I'll tell you, it is. You don't want to talk about that Here's stuff. the thing. It's just, it's just a ramping up of like... <laughs> Talking about supernatural, super normal stimuli, dude. That's why I'm so passionate about that. It's like your brain, you need like the edge. And this was my problem with it. I didn't have a drug problem. I could never like stop drugs or whatever. But then it's like you get the blood flowing on sex stuff. It's like that's not getting it flowing. You go to like something a little bit more kind of out there. And then you finally mm. you land on those shores and you go, my God. <laughs> my God, where's <laughs> it gone? <laughs> that's a very humorous explanation of what escalation looks like. You know, we've talked about escalation and stuff with porn fetishes and things like that here before, but it's it's nice to hear someone. That might have been the first time I've ever heard someone with any kind of like public profile talking about it from a first-hand perspective. Can you think of anyone yeah. else? Mm, not besides, you know, those guys on TikTok, but this guy is, you know, a comedian, a well-known podcaster yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so oh, no. Yeah, so props to him for being willing to talk about it. I mean, I comedy might be the perfect place for it because, you know, you can you can make it pretty funny. But uh yeah, like this is happening, okay? And it's happening a lot, all right? Like number 4 category. Right? Yeah, that's what we we yeah. we covered it. It's like that it was number 1 in terms of growth, right? L- last year? 
Yeah, I believe so. I think it was something like 170% growth in the search term or 150% growth. I forget exactly what it was, but some insane growth in the search for, for trans porn. And it's like, yeah, guys, like you might spiral. Okay. And many of you probably already have to something where it's like, you know, you would have told your, <laughs> like, imagine like, one of the best uses for a time machine, other than like going back and like, you know, stopping Hitler or whatever is like all the guys who could go back and sit down and talk to their 13 year old self. Who's just about to start using porn. And you can say, Hey man, I'm going to show you something. Okay. If you watch this stuff, here's what you're going to end up watching in about five years. And they show them a picture of the thing that they've escalated to. And the kid's going to be like, Ugh, what? <laughs> and it's like, I'm not touching that stuff. You think it's, it's going to warp my brain like that. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things that I, it needs to be talked about, okay? And not every guy escalates, okay, uh, to, to to extreme things. But almost every guy, not every not every guy, almost every guy escalates to at least hardcore. Um, you know, it's rare that the guy keeps it entirely on softcore. And if he does, it's usually because there's some other kind of weird, equally odd fetish that they get into. Now, of course, there's always going to be outliers. You know, leave a comment if you're an outlier. Congratulations. But, like, the thing is, like, you use this stuff, your brain gets used to whatever you use. And so if you want to keep getting a spike, well, then you're going to have to keep finding something that pushes the envelope. And sometimes you don't have control over what gives you that spike. And you get something that uh, mixes uh, different kinds of stimuli. You can find yourself hooked on the transporn and uh it can be very disconcerting especially if you are a straight male okay you know we're talking about how straight guys can get hooked on gay porn without being gay because of the taboo of it the the the, the rush they get from it all that kind of shit like it's just it's just wild so i mean i know we've talked about this a lot so i don't want to beat this horse to death um uh but yeah we'll, we'll just leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of guys are going to – I'm glad he, he mentioned that because I think, you know, there's – I have a feeling we're going to see more of it coming out in the future where more and more guys are going – they're going to be saying stuff like this. Wait a second. What's going on here? Because it is. It's – it's. Uh, and Matt actually said it wasn't – I don't think it was in that clip that we, that we just watched, but he said, I think this is a silent killer. I think this is a silent epidemic. Dude, you know, it I don't think it's my own experience. It's like certainly is. definitely is. Yeah. yeah, and the the other part of this silent epidemic is the the sexual dysfunction that ends up stemming from this kind of thing. Um, being in the you know the porn recovery sphere for a long time, like what I've seen is just how often someone with an escalated porn fetish they have other kinds of sexual dysfunction like they they can't get hard with their partner or they can't orgasm with a partner and the, and what what's going on is that their brain is being wired to like oh this freaky wild thing over here or just this completely unrealistic thing over here this is what sex is and your brain gets hardwired to that shit and then all of a sudden you're with a flesh and blood woman and all of us and your brain's like uh this isn't sex i'm not 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 flipping the boner switch sorry and then you're just sitting there like, oh, um, I think I'm just a little uh, tired from work. When in reality, you were just like beating your meat to some crazy shit for like, you know, two hours, like before your, your partner got there. Right. It's just like, 
it's uh it's a killer and you know you, you you screw that up in a relationship you can't you know connect romantically with them and i'm not even just talking about like actually having sex like this can kill your ability to to really just connect period like you're not gonna be able to vibe with chicks as well you're not gonna be able to talk to them you're not gonna be as motivated to approach um you're not gonna be as interested interested in them and therefore you're probably not gonna be as interesting to them um and this is i think a big part of like why so many guys report uh like just massive improvements in their romantic relationships but then also in their social relationships as a whole because they're just not carrying around this psychological secret that's uh you know, kind of like their brain always has to be on guard with. It's like, you know, your, your brain always knows that, oh, I've got this this thing hidden. And so it's always diverting psychological resources to protecting some part of yourself. You can never really relax. You can never really be your most natural, authentic self. And, you know, not to mention just your dopamine circuits are just fried. So you're not able to really just be hooked into a conversation. You're not able to really come up with those interesting insights because your brain's just not spinning that way. It's just not, it's not finding that thread of interest in more quote unquote mundane interactions. And so there's just vibrancy to everything else. It's like, you know, you, you get all your dopamine from porn, all of a sudden the rest of your life's going to just get grayer and grayer. So it's a big problem. A lot of guys struggle with it. If you struggle with it, you are nowhere near alone. Um, in fact, we have a whole community of guys who are you know, working to quit porn and improve their lives. We call it the Self Mastery Club. This is like the the big thing that uh, we, we've, you know, my big offering here with this project. And so, if you're interested in quitting porn, you're interested in getting control of your habits, you're getting, you want to upgrade your mindset, then click at, click the training in the link and check out what I got because I can teach you some awesome stuff in that training, you know, completely for free. And then we'll tell you about the self mastery club and everything that you can get in there. That'll help you get off porn, help you become the man that you're meant to be and unleash your apex potential. So I that's pretty much what we have today. Right, Pete, anything else? Yeah, that's it. Thanks for hanging with us guys. We'll see you next week. Yeah. All right, guys. Oh yeah. See you next time. Peace. <laughs>